Welcome to the Get With It podcast. I will be your host, Elizabeth. This podcast will focus on the decline of women in technology and how our grassroots organization works with the community to foster relationships and reducing the gap of women in tech. We will be talking with both men and women on how to continue to move the needle forward on those relationships. For more information, please check us out at getwitit.org. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Get Wit It podcast. Today, I have with me Laura Burnland. I just have to say that was an easy one for me. Some of the last names I've received, uh, I make them sometimes say it. Because <laughs> just, it's not one of my better suits. Um, so... Laura, where are you? Lo- You're in New York, right? Is I'm actually, yeah, in New York State. And I lived in Manhattan for decades. But uh, now I am really lucky to live three hours east of Manhattan in Montauk, New York, which okay. is right on the ocean. And it's quite a beautiful, natural place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In the wintertime, too? It's, you know, people, thankfully, people think it it's not a place to be in the winter. And it's our favorite time because it's so quiet and it's so still. And because we're right, uh, we're surrounded by water. It's not that, you know, the, the, the cold doesn't get too cold and the warm doesn't get too warm. So it's nicely modular. Oh, it's really have like, like the perfect setup there then, eh? It's pretty nice. Wow. All right. Do you do any, this is so sidebar, but do you do any activities then outside in the wintertime, like ice fishing? That's a great question. There are some, there are some ponds, um, not in this town, but a little uh, closer to New York City where ice boating used to be a big thing. But the, the the water, the bodies of water hardly freeze over anymore. So there's less of that. There's oh. less of that. You know, the climate might be changing. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's, you got some questionable states going on there with the temperature. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So no, no fishing, no ice fishing. Um, yeah. Okay. Okay. So that are you closer? You must be closer to like, if I can do my geography correctly, not you're like on the other, like east, right? We're east of New York, yeah, and we're sort of like down. Like if you see the Connecticut coastline and the Long Island coastline, we're actually pretty close to Connecticut. Okay you know, and to Block Island. And um, (laughs) you know how, how, how great the, uh, the geolocation is on many mapping systems, it will go like, you'll say, where's the nearest target or where's the nearest Walgreens, and it will send you to Connecticut, which is actually like a five hour drive, but it's only 30 miles away as the bird flies. Oh, okay. Okay. So don't go that route. Don't go that route now. So, okay. So Laura, um, I guess we're going to talk about 
the center. We have an, is it a nonprofit? It is a nonprofit. Okay. I couldn't remember if I read that correctly or not, but um, nonprofit center of leadership. Close. You get, you have half of it. Center for compassionate leadership. Compassionate leadership. Yes. I knew there was a, there was a little C word in there. Compassion. Compassionate. (laughs) So what is that? Tell us about that. Yeah. So I spent most of my business career growing up in digital media and tech. And, you know, for decades was not terribly interested in anything other than what success looked like, driving fast, driving hard, um, you know, creating valuations, creating new technologies, doing things that we think are important um, to move us ahead in the world. And I, you know, will always have tech at the core of my heart. And I love the, the positive aspects of tech that come into the world. And at the same time, so I was very early in all these spaces and, um, really excited to see what could be done and worked in both large companies and, was entrepreneurial as well, did a bunch of startups. But I was always exhausted, burnt out, frustrated, having difficult relationships, um, not really present for uh, my child. And I'm like, maybe this isn't really the way (laughs) I'm supposed to be living out my life to be successful because I just didn't have another definition and I didn't have another model of what a successful life looked like other than, you know, blow myself up, blow myself out and just push, push, push. So um, I hit a wall about 25 years ago. I I sort of encountered a, a life tragedy and everybody goes through difficult horrible things. That's part of life. Um, I had a dear friend who was kind enough to send me away (laughs) because I was ready to go right back to work. I was in the middle of a startup at the time. I was like, I can't take off. I can't recover. No, 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 no. I'm back in the office. So, you know, I was sent away (laughs) very kindly on a retreat and I learned about mindfulness. I learned about meditation. And this was like a new light, a new door that I had never really been exposed to. And at the at first, I was like, well, this, this is interesting, but didn't really grab me. And then over time, I realized I kept trying and I still wasn't healing. So as I wasn't healing, I'd go back to these tools And eventually, like, things started clicking in, like, I need to rest, I need to restore, I need to calm my mind, I need to learn what really matters to the the deepest part of myself and to my heart. And as I was starting to make these discoveries, I realized I was becoming a better leader, a better colleague, a better partner. Um. So I kept on with my business life, but I also kept moving more deeply into meditation, to yoga, to 
wisdom traditions and learning about this whole other part of the the universe that was never really present in my success-oriented definition of life. And eventually I was like, you know, these two things really need to be together because we are all on this difficult path of life and we are all trying to do our best and show up in our best way for the people we love, but we don't, we haven't really been taught how to do that. So that's what the center is all about to bring compassion and wisdom traditions together with what we know works in modern leadership. And especially what the science now tells us about how our brains can be rewired and retrained and what we really need to be healthy, whole, and humans being, not just doing. Oh, that's a lot. That was a lot. But that you was a lot. Me. <laughs> that was a lot. Okay. So you, okay. So the center of compassionate leadership, what, what you just decided to yeah. put this together? Like what were, it sounded like you have worked in startups, so you might have. Yeah. So the last, um, so I started the center in 2018. And for uh, the nine years prior, I'd been working uh, to build the um, media network behind Neil deGrasse Tyson and his podcast and his television and his social media. And it was really a moment of personal decision. Like, am I going to keep doing this stuff for other people or am I going to bring these practices together so and offer them to people and teach them? I've been teaching yoga and meditation already for many, many years, and it felt like it, it, it was time for people in organizations, both uh nonprofits and large organizations, as well as entrepreneurs and startups to um, help them understand that these tools can really make a complete shift in life and make it possible to do the work that we all want to bring forth in the world. I think especially people in technology are usually incredibly passionate about what they're building and what they're doing and how it's going to benefit people and humanity. And yet we lose our humanity in the process. Mm -hmm. We work too hard. We're staring at screens, you know, we're, we think um, it's a badge to be busy and it, it really, we have to learn how to put everything into balance. So I, I started the center. It's a nonprofit. That's been a, a, a challenging road, honestly, because um, it's not just like going out, ra- like it would have been easier to go out and raise VC funding. <laughs> But this is really, this is meant to be a nonprofit. And um, so that aspect is getting together. And we have created community to share these ideas and practices. We have um, training and we have research and we have uh, created like a hub of connection because there are people all over the world that are really starting to stand up, especially after the pandemic you know, and figuring out that 
oh, I, I, I am not just a, 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 a mother over here who goes to the office, but now I'm on Zoom calls and my kids are running by. So I was on one on earlier and there was a hand that was coming this way, waving. I was like, God, get out of here. <laughs> but the jig is up. It's like we are whole human beings. There is mm-hmm. no more curtain present that separates our work life from our personal life. So the beauty of that, as hard as that's been, and so many challenges during this pandemic for so many people, I really don't want to skip over that, how much pain and sadness and loss there's been. And what we've learned is that people need to be treated in their whole humanity. If I'm your supervisor in a large organization, I have to be sensitive to the fact that you might be homeschooling your kids and you have three jobs now instead of two jobs. And, you know, it's, it's really, I think, opened up so many people to what's possible and how we need to be all of us going forward to make it possible to be thriving in our personal lives, be thriving in our work lives, and be thriving for the planet. Because as we said before, the planet's having a rough time too. <laughs> we need to take care of, you know, the great mother, the great mother earth. So was this like a physical center? That might sound like a really stupid no, question, no, no. but <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. where people gather together. Yeah. No, it was always, I've always been a cloud-based person. So it's in the cloud. <laughs> it's, oh. in, it's in the cloud. And the beauty of that is that we had connections with people around the globe. And we just did a training. Um, what's today? Thursday. On Tuesday for about a hundred people who work in global health and tropical medicine. And there were people from you know, I didn't count the countries, but lots of countries. And a, a, a few weeks earlier, we did a, a compassion gathering with people also from 38 countries. I got a chance to count how many of them there were. So the beauty, of course, of being in the cloud, no boundaries, no boundaries. And we all have these issues. And I am very you know, I have not traveled much in my life, and I am very U.S.-centric in my experience. And I am so, like, I get so excited to see that no matter where people are coming in from, we just all have the same human issues at our core. So if, like, since this is in the cloud, anybody, it sounds like anybody can dial in or join a training or whatever. Is that like on a website? How does that all work? Yeah. So we, um, we have uh, about every other month, a quarterly compassion gathering. And those are zoom calls where people come together. We share our, uh, we share our reflections, we share um, what's important to us, and we get to go into small breakouts and really talk about the things that are uncomfortable. Because oh, okay. I find that there aren't that many safe spaces. There's where- not. 
there's not. Right. You don't necessarily right. feel comfortable with your boss and say, I'm overscheduled and overwhelmed. And how am I going to, you know, you don't want to show that much vulnerability, perhaps, although what we know about really great teams and great workplaces is that vulnerability mm-hmm. is, is, um, raised as an important opportunity for everybody. But um, that said, our courses, we do um, our signature programs or eight week trainings. We have a couple of those coming up in the fall. We do those on Zoom because we love enabling people to have, you know, as much connection and interaction and the feeling of that deeper connection. And um, until we're back in rooms doing it too, I mean, I love that we get to do it on Zoom. As what much are the trainings? The trainings teach um, compassionate leadership and resilience skills. So we also, we start with the science behind all this because we're actually all born compassionate. It's an innate capacity we all have we're just not culturated to it it's like what i said before you know we're not as mothers we know to show up and nurture our children and then 6 weeks later we go off to work and <laughs> we are, we put them in a basket so somebody else can take care of them and you know it's it's not really set up our systems are not set up to support us to be as compassionate as we need to be to really support each other to thrive, not just as parents, but as colleagues and as bosses and as um, leaders and organizations. So we, we help people rediscover that sense of deep compassion as well as learn how to be vulnerable, learn how to have difficult conversations, mm-hmm. learn, learn how to create cultures where all of these things are welcome and not just like welcome sometimes, but really overtly welcome. We want people to speak up. We want people to be honest. We want people to be transparent so that if there's a problem, we address it right away. We don't like passively, aggressively put it off to the side and talk about it later, which is how many cultures operate. You know, everything's fine until something blows up. But truly, the definition of compassion is to not only alleviate the suffering, but to alleviate the conditions of suffering. So part of that in our interpretation is really to create cultures that enable people to thrive and flourish in their work, in their purpose, and in their personal lives. Gotcha. So when do you, is this like in the evening time? Speaking of being compassionate, most women are working, right, and have kids. So when do you host these and or are they like recorded and you go through and? Yeah. So um, our our main trainings, our eight-week training programs are actually in the middle of the day Eastern time because we have people all over the world. So in Europe. For, the, for our participants in Western Europe, it's in their evening. We have lots of people who join us from Africa, 
from developing nations in Africa. And um, so the time is all over the map, depending on where you are in the world. Where you're located. Okay. All right. So, so you're trying to accommodate. <laughs> yeah. And we, re- we do record everything, recognizing that not everybody can show up all the time. But we love the live energy and the opportunity for people to feel the connection when they're with their peers. I mean, it's one thing for us to talk about the science and the business evidence and to give them examples and cases. And it's another thing for a leader uh, like in Ethiopia to hear from a peer in Seattle that they have the same challenge. Mm-hmm. And then one of them says, oh, my God, I had no idea anybody else felt this way. Do you have any language barrier problems? So we do everything in English right now. Um, We'd love to eventually be offering in language. And to be honest, it's it's language and it's culture, too. Mm -hmm. As the things we take so for granted in our Western developed society, you know, we're working with people truly in in very different types of uh, countries and organizations and cultures. So even when we teach communication skills and the idea of looking in, in somebody in the eyes as a means right. of connecting, that's not true across all cultures. That can be it's very, you know, so so we've we take care to try to consider all these things, especially because one of the the issues we tackle in the training is both conscious bias and unconscious bias and unconscious bias is, you know, we're just starting as a society to learn about it in this country. It takes the shape of racism and in other countries, it takes the shape of colonialism and um, it's very hard for us to, recognize people who are not like us or don't look like us or don't come from our in-group as equals. Mm-hmm. That's just a survival thing. We were programmed with that, you know, hundreds of millions of years ago and not just in our species, but in other species. So uh, overcoming that because it takes conscious awareness to recognize that I want to treat this other person just like any other person or just like any other person would treat me. So that takes practice and we have to learn to overcome these challenges. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. So at the end of the eight weeks, is there like, like a, target or party <laughs> like like <laughs> we post popping champagne and yeah. worldwide yeah 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 no it, you know people um are just so connected at that point we actually keep each group oh, just keep going <laughs> yeah we keep meeting every month so that wow. they can keep sharing and uh supporting each other because as they see each other sort of starting to build compassionate acts into their life 
into their meetings, into their organizations. They inspire each other. It's beautiful. Okay. So you said you teach yoga. Did yeah. you? Okay. So was that like your epiphany when you went to your retreat where you're like, hmm, I can do this? <laughs> um, my yoga journey was, um, it took, you mean like I can do yoga or I can teach yoga? You can, it sounds like you can do both, right? Oh, I can do both. And I teach, uh, you know, I still uh, keep some space to teach, to teach teachers how to teach yoga and meditation. Oh, you're like the train the trainers kind of thing, right? So you went to this retreat and you got like all of this inner compassion, how to care for yourself, mind, body, and soul, so to speak. And is that where you found your love for yoga? Um, it, It sort of evolved over a long period of time. The first retreat I went to, there was a lot of resistance. I'm like, I don't want to hear this stuff. I'm sad. I want to just be miserable and cry and wallow in my pain. And then, you know, I learned that maybe if I sat quietly for 10 minutes, I could let an emotion come up and dissipate. So it's a matter of like, repeat, repeat, repeat. And you eventually, it took me years to really let all this stuff sink in and and figure out that it was so helpful to me. And then once, and I see this all the time as we're training new new teachers, you know, once you have that experience for yourself, it's so delicious and joyful. You want to share it like a great recipe, right? Right. <laughs> like a great, a great uh, new dish. You want everybody to try it because it's so yummy. So, yeah. So, but before all of this happened, you said you were in the technology world. Yeah. Were you a developer? Both. So I've never, I've always been jealous of people who can code and (laughs) develop. I was never on the, I was never on the engineering or uh, tech side of things, but in technology environments where I was on the business strategic and and, um, account side of things. And um, have really always had the greatest respect for people who have the mind and the capacity to put the puzzle pieces together to make the technology do what you spec out for it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a whole nother language. It is. It is. It is. And they're a whole nother group of people. So... So where do you fall? Um, I'm not a, I'm not a technical person. I'm not I'm a developer. I'm that annoying person that um, asks the stupid questions and then say, okay, now that you explained all that to me, when are you going to have it? So I can take it to the stakeholder and make them happy. So um, yeah, but I say it really nicely. <laughs> they can hear you. Right. Sometimes it's with the donut, right? Like there's some bribery that goes on in there. Like, hey, here's some donuts and some coffee. How you doing today? Are you gonna deliver that or what? So yeah. So yes. Kind of what I do. But um, okay, so you were on the business side of things, customer accounts, that kind of thing. 
founder, co-founder, very early, very early. From startups. Too early. Yeah. And of the whole internet environment. Oh, okay. When did you start your, that journey? Like, um, in the eighties. Oh, okay. So early, early on, really early on. Okay. And did you always want to, so go back a little farther, right? Like not birth, but maybe high school. Was there anybody who influenced you to go into technology? Because normally women are not encouraged, especially in those errors to be like, Hey, you should go into it. Right. And the, the, I don't know what the initial spark was, but in the, so I was in high school in the late seventies and there were early experiments going on. I mean, cable television was hardly around and there were experiments going on through cable and there were early types of interactive things happening on CD-ROMs and that was about it. And I was fascinated. I don't know how I got even plugged into all this now that you're asking. But once I thought about it, I'm like, well, we all sit back then in front of about three to five television channels and it's a lean back experience. What if we can actually interact with all this stuff? How much potential does that hold for education and for communication and for really, you know, helping the world? Right. That's that's what was so exciting to me. And at the time, you know, in the beginning, in the 80s, there was a lot of stuff happening with the telephone networks and especially over in Europe, the PTTs were implementing uh, video techs and teletechs. And then slowly these services started coming into this country. I worked for CompuServe in like 19. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, that was the only place where these a lot of people that listen to this podcast is going to be like, what the hell is CompuServe? There's going to be a lot of Googling about that one. (laughs) What was CompuServe? I mean, modems were 300 baud per second and then Mm -hmm. 1200 baud per second. And we used to one letter at a time blinking in a word. And so all of this preceded the highways that we now have that are so beautiful and carry so much data, you know, seamlessly, gracefully, Mm -hmm. peacefully, except for today. Wasn't there a huge outage in the cloud? Um, There was, I'm not sure what all went down, but there was some drama. There was a lot of drama. I mean, you know what's fascinating to me? There's, uh, I don't know her name. I could probably look it up. The woman who heads up cybersecurity for the uh, Biden administration. I've heard her speak a few times on the news. She's amazing. Wow. And there are a couple of women in very high, um, it's, it's very exciting that they really have their finger on the pulse of the global challenges that we're now facing because we live on these networks. But right. Back, back then the networks were like horse and buggy. That's right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You're like, huh, I wonder if this is going to go through. 
<laughs> and that, you know what's so interesting? The fascinating thing is that even back then when the networks were all ASCII and text only and black and white, and like we, the CompuServe network started, you know, with special interest groups and putting people together, our behaviors, humans, is pretty much the same as we do now. Mm-hmm. Even though the, the bandwidth was nothing, and but the desire to connect was there, the desire to chat a lot, the desire to share information, the desire to shop, the desire, you know, like all these things are, so now they get to play out like with all the, the, the bells and whistles. It's- yes, it is. It's very much advanced um, now. So um, you said something and it triggered, um, it triggered something for me. What or how do you find in your uh, nonprofit when you're having these seminars and stuff, how many women do you have? Or is it mostly men? (laughs) It's mostly women. (laughs) I love that. So here, it's such a great question. But to be honest with you, Laura, we need some men to get some of that compassionate Exactly. Because exactly. These, these are historically thought of as soft skills mm-hmm. and um, emotional intelligence and bringing heart to work is thought of as mostly a feminine quality. Mm-hmm. So here's what's so interesting. In the early 90s, I founded a group in New York called Women in New Media. Because there were not so many of us, you know, doing the work. There were pu- people in publishing, people in, in tech, um, people in telecom and finance that were, you know, starting these little new media things that turned into big new media things and, and advertising, of course. And that group, at the time, women were so in the minority of the Internet space And for, you know, the next 25, 30 years, women were still sort of in the minority in the tech space. Although I'm always so encouraged when I see groups focusing on women, um, women in coding, all that kind of stuff, I think is fantastic. And um, the emphasis of getting more women into STEM and keeping them in STEM, I think is so important. So, so, so important. That said, you know, it's still always been a minority population. Raising money has never been fun. Right. <laughs> Being a startup founder, never fun, all that kind of stuff. Like, why are you doing that? Um, Then there was, I started in the yoga and meditation world about 20 plus years ago, and it was just the opposite. It was all women. (laughs) And there are more and more men coming into it, but men in particular, um, I mean, you go to any yoga class or before the pandemic when there were yoga studios and people went to yoga studios, and I know you know, I've trained so many people that run yoga studios all over the country and the world. 
how do we get the men in the room? How do we mm-hmm. keep the men in the room? <laughs> and very few male teachers, although some of the best master teachers are men and some of the historically wise master teachers from previous generations were men. I mean, yoga wasn't even taught to women, women in the East. It oh, was, it's only men. It was men. Oh, it's so bizarre. And the beautiful thing now, I think, truly, is that, you know, gender is getting so fluid and people are doing whatever they want, however they want to live their lives and taking roles, you know, people in relationships and especially raising children. It's like you would think things are getting more equalized and yet the pandemic has shown that it's been really tough on women. Mm-hmm. It has. Um, there have been several days that I am really thankful. Nobody's had to bail me out of jail because I haven't lost my shit at my house with my kids. <laughs> it's really, really tough. And when and you catch a break, you, you don't. You don't, um, you don't, because then there's something else that happens. And so, you know, just, yes. So we need to get men to that meditation right there and to that compassionate. So this is the time I like to, like, what is the website? Like, where can people go to get one, your information? If they want to learn more, are you open to that? And two, how do you sign up? That kind of stuff. Sure. Well, I appreciate your helping um, share the good word. So the website is centerforcompassionateleadership.org. I'll spell out. Um, They can find us on LinkedIn. It would be lovely. Uh, I'm happy to have connect with people directly on LinkedIn. When you go to our website, uh, it will ask you to subscribe to our newsletter, which is a weekly way we help the community stay connected. We have social channels on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And the handle there is at Being Compassion. That's far more than I do on social media. You go, girl. Um, when we do release the podcast, we will have the website and your name, your LinkedIn information, just so make it easier for people to connect with you. Um, so, um, say the website again, center for compassionate leadership.org. Okay. All right. I like to say it twice just to make sure people have been here the first time. So, um, Well, it is a Thursday evening, and I do not want to hold you any further from your evening. Do you have any big plans tonight? A walk on the beach. Oh, my God. I'm so jealous. (laughs) I'm going to have to come out there. Um, I love water. I love I would love to live on water. So um, do you have any golf courses close by? I'm a big golfer. There's a hugely popular public course called Montauk Downs, which actually has ocean views. Look it up. It's beautiful. 
Oh my God. Is that like a really, is that like a professional? Cause I'm not professional. No, 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 no. I mean, every, it's a public course. Everybody plays there, but it's, it's quite special because it's public and it has all that water and it's, oh, it's really beautiful. Really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Except I need to be honest with you. The water is not always my friend on a golf course, but if it's far <laughs> enough away, I'm good. Yeah. If it's just the view, I'm good. <laughs> it's, it's the I, ones I, on the golf course that really they love my balls <laughs> not enough women in golf either are there uh no no and um i uh, i have learned um speaking of mind body and soul um since this summer well spring and summer that's um I am trying to golf. It's like my release. So like I was having a really bad day yesterday and mm-hmm. I just shut my computer off at like three 30, I think. And I was like, I can't do anymore. My brain is not working. I'm not being, I'm not being valuable to anybody at this point. And so my husband and I, we went and played 18 and mm-hmm. afterwards he's like, you seem like you're in a better mood. And I was like, I just took all my frustrations out on a ball. <laughs> Whatever it is, I mean, that's such a great example because whatever it is that allows you to have that release and to just let it go, whack the ball, you know, bam a pillow, jump in the ocean, whatever it is for anybody, it doesn't mean you have to sit on a cushion and go, right. you know, it's not that. It's just however that works for each individual, you have to have... Thank goodness you had this self-awareness to say enough, you know, many times we push through it. You don't want your surgeon pushing through it. You don't want your pilot pushing through it. And why should you push through it? It's just not healthy. Right. Totally agree with you. You just confirmed my bad habit of golfing. It's not, it's a gift. What a gift. What a gift. (laughs) I'm so glad to know that you love that and that it really is a place for you to find your, your peace and, fr- and frustration. <laughs> Although it's really funny when I get frustrated out on the golf course, if I have a bad shot or whatnot, then yeah. I'm like, wow, oh, I just game. Oh, right. But then I'm like, my, what really matters. Right. I'm like, oh, it's a game. And I cheat anyways, right? Like I'm the person that shoots the ball like four or five times in the same spot. And I take the best one I like. <laughs> Called practice. <laughs> That's right. That is right. Right. My own rules. So well, you're fabulous. And I thank you for your time. I know you're a busy lady. So I totally appreciate you jumping on this evening with me. And I'm jealous. Go enjoy that beach walk. You enjoy your golf course. Thank you. I will. And um, we will connect and I will probably be reaching out to get more information. Um, And if anybody reaches out to me, I will pass them your way. Thank you so much. It was pleasure. It was fun. You are joyful and radiant. And I really appreciated our time together. Thank you. Thank you so much. And what do you think? Oh, yeah. Namaste. Namaste. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Somebody owns it. Right. Somebody owns it. You know, they do. 
Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and leave a review. We will see you next time and feel free to drop us a line at getwitit.org. <laughs>